Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU, and right now, Iron Man 2. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And as mentioned, we're going to be talking about Iron Man 2 as we continue our work, our way through the MCU, through Phase 1. And this week we have a special guest. We have Julia Alexander, the senior streaming editor of IGN, and as far as I know, the number one Iron Man 2 fan on the internet. Julia, welcome. Uh. So excited to have you here. Thank you guys for inviting me. This is truly an honor for me to be invited on this episode. Oh, it's our honor. Thanks so much. It's our honor. I mean, yeah. we reached out to a lot of Iron Man 2 fans, and um, let me be honest, yours, it was just a bunch of aliases of your name, so it was great. To, uh... There are literally dozens of aliases that I <laughs> Smart. Well, yeah, well, Iron Man 2 burner Because honestly, what I knew we were going to do, we're doing this walk through the MCU through Phase 1 from the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and then picking up Loki, and then presumably we'll come back to Phase 2 at some point. But when I knew we were going to schedule out Iron Man 2, you were absolutely the first name on my list because you take any opportunity to talk about Iron Man 2 (laughs) in the absolute best way. What is it about this movie in the MCU in particular that you like so much? It's funny. When I first saw Iron Man 2 back in 2010, I hated it. I was part of the mass people, arguably the majority of the people who think it's a terrible film. And then in 2018, when Infinity War was coming out, AMC was doing its um, marathon. And so I went and sleep deprived already by the time Iron Man 2 started playing. I watched Iron Man 2 and was like, this is not as bad as I remember it. And then I kept returning to it. I just kept watching it over and over again. And eventually, within the span of about eight months, Iron Man 2 had become my favorite yes. Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. And I think, I think the for me, as someone who very much likes, uh, and Alex knows this because he follows me on Twitter, uh, who, who likes sad characters and just likes sad superheroes in particular, whenever I read Marvel DC comics, I'm always drawn to like any, like for example, Dick Grayson arc i'm just like oh sad people uh, and i love it and i think <laughs> Iron Man 2, the closest we could ever get to demon in a bottle and the closest we could ever get to tony just being extremely sad and trying to figure out how to deal with his sadness it was just i just became in love with it um and so even though i can look at iron man 2 objectively as a critic and say not great bob uh subjectively <laughs> i'm like this is my favorite tony and he's my favorite iron man film it you know is, I, oh, go ahead, Justin. well i was just gonna jump in and say like i gotta agree with you like this movie, it got such a bad rap. And I remember not hating it, hating it like everybody else. But I was like, yeah, it was it was sort of a bummer. And it is a bit of a bummer movie because our hero is wrong for like 85% of the movie. And I think that's, that's something that we don't expect from, A, watching the first movie or just in general to have a superhero movie where the hero is like fuck, literally fucking up the whole time. We're like, come on, dude, <laughs> fix all this stuff. You're so close to fixing it. The blood, blood toxicity thing, it's like you gotta, you're, we know you're going to fix it. But you can't you can't just walk around getting your blood weird. Fix your blood. 
<laughs> I think I realized upon uh, my most recent rewatch, which was today. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I should watch it again for the podcast and not just because I wanted to. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, the whole story arc of Iron Man 2 is basically dude, wealthy dude is out of control. Wealthy dude gets grounded and is effectively at home. Wealthy dude comes to like terms with his daddy issues. And then wealthy dude goes about trying to be a better person. So he harms less people. And I was just like, imagine if we gave people therapy, <laughs> what could have been avoided in this movie? Cause it's just him realizing like, Oh, I don't have all the answers and I do need help. And I, I'm leaning on substances that I shouldn't be leaning on to try and make everything hurt less. And I was like, you could use therapy, Tony Stark, so badly. No, I mean, I was going to do therapy, but I just put a square of palladium into my heart instead. <laughs> oh, it's so working use fine. Use a triangle. Use a triangle. It's better. Yeah, yeah. I like the hard stuff. <laughs> the thing that I like about this movie, and uh, even I think even back when I watched it in theaters, to your point, Julia, you could watch it, and there's things that don't work about it. Like the the third act gets a little uh, CGI mess fight, you know, and there are things that go on too long and it goes in weird directions. But even back when I first watched it and again, watching it again for the podcast, I was really struck by, I would rather these movies take big, weird swings on things. And I would so much rather watch that than something that is calm and safe and just sort of makes sense. And the fact that the thing that brings me back to this movie time and again is Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke. They are... Yeah. Incredible villains. Yes. They are great. Their performances so are so okay. over the top. I love Sam Rockwell's performance in particular more every single time. And yeah. this is something we talked about in the Iron Man rewatch, which I didn't know. He was originally supposed to be Iron Man. Like, that was yeah. the plan. They were talking about that. So to bring him back as Justin Hammer makes this sort of sense to it in terms of the MCU. And he's just this spectacular dweeb throughout yeah. the movie that becomes dorkier and dorkier as he goes towards the end. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I wish <laughs> he's like, and I'll just put this out here. Like this was what struck me watching this time. He is a Loki level villain in terms of being interesting to watch. And they should yeah. have been using it more. He is. He, and it's also great because he's such a departure from like my favorite Justin Hammer arcs in the comics where Justin is, my, my favorite arc is where Justin and Tony are kind of long time, not friends, but long time acquaintances and kind of have this ongoing rivalry, which we kind of get to in the movie. But it's just, he's much more full of swagger in the comics in my favorite arcs. And having Sam Rockwell come in and to your point exactly, Alex, just feel like this dweeb who very much wants to be Tony and can't be Tony and ah. gets all of his leftovers. And it's just like him partnering with Mickey Rourke, who I believe was in the first 10 minutes of that film is like getting his bird drunk is like the yes. greatest, <laughs> like it's, it's just it's such a perfect random sequence of events in Iron Man 2 that it's like this beautiful mess all written by Justin Thoreau. Which, like, when I saw that, I was like, right, Justin Thoreau was just shirtless at a typewriter, probably, just banging out the script <laughs> to Iron Man 2. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it oh, really ahead, is. Dude, I'm going to give a little background on this here. Go okay. Ahead. It really is, like, that first 10 minutes, like, you get a, a new villain reveal, like, you have pieces of information. It's that, uh, you know, uh, it very cool intro to a villain and done well. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with this movie going back. I mean, there are some things that don't hold up 
Uh, but I do think that like uh, every time I watch it, I get a I get to be like, yeah, Sam Rockwell loves to dance, and you gotta let him do it. You gotta <laughs> let him dance. You gotta and, let him dance. Uh, yeah, and Mickey Rourke is such a creepy dude in general. It kind of matches the hiring of, you know, Tony Stark. So I, I liked it. I thought it was, uh, I, yeah, every time I watch it, there's just a little something that I was like, oh, this isn't as bad. There's something else that you <laughs> yeah. can enjoy a little I, bit. I, I mean, you this- know... Mickey uh, Rourke's gotten a gotten a bird drunk on his own, like pre movie. Oh, well, he yeah. the the thing is, he paid for his own teeth and bird. Apparently, like everything yeah. was his idea. Money He's like, well yeah, I'm gonna spent. have the tattoos. I'm, he went to a Russian jail and did research. He got his own gold teeth and he bought his own bird. And he's like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And it's some of the best stuff of the movie. It's great. Yeah. I, my favorite moments on Twitter.com, the website, uh, are when <laughs> people at me, they'll like at me and they'll be like, hey, man, just want to let you know I watched Iron Man 2 randomly this weekend. I don't think it's that bad. Your points hold up. And I'm like, yes. And, and my favorite moment, um, I used to be at The Verge for a long time until recently I left to go to IGN. And my greatest moment was when my bosses kind of DM me on Slack one day and was like, I watched Iron Man 2 on a plane. You have a point. And I was like, yes, like, it's just if you revisit it. But it's one of those things where, for me, I think the, Mar- uh, the Star Wars equivalent would be Attack of the Clones. Where I'm like, I like for so many people, St- Iron Man 2 is I don't want to go back and revisit it. I'm just going to skip over it. And when I'm doing my rewatch, it's like there's so many good moments in this movie. And it's yeah. my favorite mm. Tony Stark. Like, it's my favorite mm-hmm. Tony in all the films. Wow. I like that you're the internet's triangle just being charged up by people's <laughs> love of Iron Man. Triangulum, I guess, is probably the official element that that is. Yes. Uh, like so a, a couple of things that I probably DJ? should have met. What, what's up, Pete? You like a good drunken DJ is what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of a sad thing because that's DJ AM who passed away right oh, after yeah. the movie and they pay tribute to him at the end. Um, but that still is a very good scene and a lot of fun. Uh, so I should have mentioned the stuff at the beginning just as kind of a groundwork for it, but came out May 7th, 2010, which was just two years after the first one. Um, I don't know if folks listening out there remember this, but I remember very clearly there was a phone call the Monday morning after Iron Man came out with Kevin Feige, where it was like, that was an enormous success, even bigger than we thought. But guess what? Here's what we're doing. We're going to skip a year because there's a lot of stuff coming out in 2009. We're going to go right into production on Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 coming out in two years, followed by Thor, followed by Captain America, followed by the Avengers. And everybody's minds were like... Right there. Uh, But the big thing that happened, and I think the thing that people point to, particularly detractors of this movie, is it was a very quick turnaround versus Iron Man that had this incredibly long gestation period where finally Marvel got the rights back. They figured it out. They got into production, even with all the improv going on there. When it came to Iron Man 2, yes, there was still improv, but there were a lot more things in the works. And that led to, again, something we talked about a little bit on the Iron Man podcast, but it seemed to have led to some friction behind the scenes. Terrence Howard was switched for Don Cheadle. There's a lot of different reports. They vary there in terms of Terrence Howard saying, Robert Downey Jr. stole all of my pay. The people at Marvel, and particularly John Favreau, has said that Terrence Howard was very hard to work for, uh, work with, excuse me. Um, So we don't know exactly what went on there, uh, but certainly some things behind the scenes. Even Samuel Jackson apparently was very lowballed by Marvel here and wasn't going to come back originally. So the interesting thing from a business perspective, I think, about this movie is Marvel was very much 
figuring out their Marvel, uh, their model here that they had this huge success with Iron Man. Incredible Hulk is this little asterisk there that's kind of in the middle. But with Iron Man 2, they were saying, okay, what we want is we want to put together a team. Like, we want to put together these team players. We're not going to pay you quite as much money, but you're going to get a nine-picture deal, Sam Jackson. And that's where we're going to give you this job security here. We're almost going to treat it like sort of a TV thing. So... It led to them balancing a lot of balls, which, again, I think is the thing that people point to as not the strongest part of the movie. You're trying to set up Avengers. You're setting up Black Widow. You're setting up S.H.I.E.L.D. You have uh, the shoved-in thing about Thor where Coulson wanders every once in a while and is like, hey, I got to go see about a hammer in the Southwest. I'll see you later. Did I mention about the Southwest over and over again? But The, the, the Coulson stuff has big um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show energy where it's like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Just relax. We're going to get to your part after the credits. Don't, That's don't when we get to no, your no, part. No, no, no. Don't undercut Coulson, dude. Coulson's a big part of this, and it gets his due. He yeah. is a big part. A larger part that I remember with him being like, so he's so cocky. What are yeah. You he's trying to threat his arm. This was something I was going to mention a little bit later on. I constantly forget that Disney Plus has an insane amount of extras on everything where you can basically watch every DVD extra. It's a terrible system. They should just run it straight into each other. You have to watch one minute deleted scene, then pop out, go back, go again. Mm. Um, But the best Coulson scene is the scene that they cut for the movie where he's hanging out in the back of the courtroom at the beginning and Pepper goes out to him and they just have this very funny back and forth which is not about plot or anything. It's just them hanging out, and it's very funny. So if you were not quite on the same wavelength as Coulson in the movie, I highly recommend checking out that one-minute scene on Disney+. Plus. But, but this, I think you said something really important, which is that this sets up a lot. So it sets up mm-hmm. Natasha Romanoff, yeah. and it sets up Natalie Rushman, or it sets up uh, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with... Uh, not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., sets up S.H.I.E.L.D. with um, Fury. It sets up a lot of the Howard Stark stuff, it sets up so yeah. much that we look back at post end game and it's like, Oh, so much of what happened in this movie is so important. Says the Thor. And I always come back to these two movies specifically where I think they are the least regarded or two of the least regarded films, in the entire MCU, but Iron Man 2 and um, age of Ultron end up being two of the most important movies. When we look back on it, it's like it, they did, they were doing so much to set things up. Mm-hmm. That it was like they lost parts of narrative along the way where it was like, oh, right, we, we're spending so much time making sure people are aware that we're, we're putting this person here and this person here. We're going to set this up. We got to tie this in. That you're kind of like, oh, right. In between this, we're making a movie mm-hmm. where it's yeah, like, they, yeah, I was going to say those these movies have big Brussels sprout energy where it's like, <laughs> I guess I got to finish these so I can grow up uh, into the big movies that come later. And I also will say um, this movie has my favorite of all time. I, I think my throughout the MCU, I really love, and I know you guys are going to get this on the podcast eventually, but when Fury and um, Tony have little hearts to heart, it really warms my heart. So in Iron Man 2, when they're first talking, and then at the end of the film, and then in Age of Ultron, when they're talking in the barn. Uh, and it's one of those things that I look back on whenever I think of Iron Man 2, the scene where Nick Fury is talking to Tony about his dad and Tony's like, you know, my father never loved me. He never even liked me. And so now we have to have this whole conversation where he's kind of being vulnerable with this person he doesn't know, but who is this very paternal figure kind of already in his life, who is essentially grounding him and being like, you can't be out of control. Like you have to be here and and think about what you're doing and, and be better. And to me, that was always this beautiful moment where they're reining in Tony Stark, this, you know, genius, Playboy billionaire philanthropist 
And it's those little heartful and heartfelt moments that I always come back with Iron Man too. People always come back to Tony peeing in the suit or like um, him and Rhodey fighting or like the really dumb moments that, or I think they're dumb. And I always come back to like, yeah, but you get Tony at his worst, which is Tony at his best because he realizes he's not indestructible. Um, and so that's why I, whenever I think of this movie, I think of Fury and I think of, Natasha and Tony being vulnerable with Nat, which then becomes a very good friend of his. And it's like that you never really see in the first film. And then it, you kind of see it in the third. And then it kind of comes back when Tony realizes he's a total disaster post Avenger. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit of a side point to what you're saying, but it is so fascinating to see Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow here because just looking back how much that character has grown, how much that character has changed. And we are very much skipping ahead here, but you think about her in Endgame being the person who's running the Avengers and holding everything together back to here where it's basically like, it's just a, it's a faint, you know, that they're setting up. Like it's just the twist of, if you don't know it's Black Widow, suddenly you're going to be surprised that she's a shield agent. Every comic book fan is like, that's Black Widow. Stop lying to us the entire movie. Um, But they're figuring out the character as they go. And it's kind of neat to see. It's fun to revisit that. What did you guys think, Justin? What did you think of Black Widow in this movie in particular? Uh, I I had forgotten about that uh, big fight sequence um, later on, the sort of uh, uh, Black Widow with Happy fighting, beating the one guy in her, beating everybody else. Oh, you Great fight about sequence. That? Come on. Yeah, I mean, I haven't rewatched this movie in so long. So, and that's what I love coming back to this and really uh, it feels like a new movie once again. Um, and I thought the I thought she was really by macing that she does. Come on, that was just <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm pro it. Are you mad at me because I forgot about it? Very yes, briefly? I am. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm mad that you forgot about one of my favorite. I parts. don't treat each fight sequence as a child uh, oh, the same way should. that you do. You yeah. gotta revisit they, them and cherish them and help them grow. They grow up so fast. Um, the uh, I do think they hadn't quite nailed she the scene that. Uh, she's changing in the back seat. Happy's like uh, looking at her. Yeah, that sort was of like, really, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of her, her hair is like very strange and very like, I'm a, uh, I'm not here to, to fight. I'm here to look a certain way. And I, I do think they had to move past some of that stuff to get to the real character that we get in the later movies. But um, that's my only criticism. Yeah. I think with Marvel studios in particular, not even just Marvel, I think every major studio who is working on blockbusters that they assumed were geared towards men and probably still are to an extent geared towards men and boys is like, Oh, we forgot women might be interested in this <laughs> yeah. and they want to watch it. And then you see it as they get closer to by the time Wanda gets introduced later on. And then we get into black Panther. And by the time we get there, it's like Kevin Feige and Marvel and Disney. And I assume many women they hired were kind of like, we need to do better. <laughs> Come like, on, guys. Like, what are yeah. we, do what better. Are we doing? But yeah, you know, cause there's some gross time, moments in this movie for sure. Yeah. And it, it, and it's very much, I mean, like I think about in the comics, not to be that person, but where Tony's the womanizer and that's this whole thing. And then yeah. he eventually gets sober and then he's not. It's like, <laughs> that's the whole thing. So, I mean, I get that they're playing into a character and the first one and, even this one, you know, when you kind of have the Paramount background and it's like, there's a little bit more you can do when there's no big uh, castle kind of appearing before in classic Mm. Disney ways, Uh, there's Mm. more that you can kind of get away with, but it just, it's going back and seeing um, Natasha Romanoff basically be like, you're a sex object. We're treating you as that. And then you end up becoming this really cool uh, spy informative. And then 
also re- remembering from press junkets and things where the, everybody would ask Scarlett Johansson, like, how do you wear the tight suit? Like, how much exercise do you do? And it's like, um, we've gotten past it finally to an extent. Yes. But that was like a really, that moment of superhero and blockbuster genre entertainment in general is just so not great to women. Yeah, yeah, yeah agree. And I think you, you said it a minute ago, but it was this like misunderstanding, like these movies are for boys and boys sure love them and they're going to keep seeing them over and over. again. I was like, what are you talking about? This is clearly becoming the mass form of entertainment. If everyone, <laughs> they just didn't slow down and look at it. They just had this idea for like, what, 20, 25 years. And like, boys, 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 we got to get boys. And it's like, you have boys make better <laughs> movies for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm did. I, I, I want to go back to the, you know, there's no Marvel flip in this. Uh, but <laughs> what I do like is it, it does have the, as the Paramount logo is happening, mm-hmm. we're already getting the last bit from Iron Man 1. So they're not wasting any time, which I appreciate. They're like picking right up and being like, all right, you, you remember that? that? Yes, I you do. Love I, I love a little yeah. bit like, hey, we're not going to waste time on credits. We're going to no, like... We're going to give you a villain intro. Then we're going to fade into ACDC and Tony Stark jumping out the back of a plane and fireworks, which are going to be big later. But like, I have a question for you, Pete. Yeah. Um, When you, when you say you love it, when they pick right up at where the last movie left off, why Mm. is that? Does it bother you when time passes between, because you feel like you missed something? (laughs) Yes, exactly. What happened? What, what were, what we, why don't we want to know what that is? We're rolling with you. And it's like, Okay, great, but then what? And then you, you're leaving gaps. And, do you feel you like know. maybe you fell unconscious or something? <laughs> yeah. I want to. What do know. you do when you go to sleep at night? Are you like, I'm pissed? Oh, I have to close my man. eyes for eight yeah. hours. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. He doesn't man. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I gotta make up every hour to make sure I'm on it. I gotta get a I drone every shifts. Yeah. Do you know what? Um, do you know what stuck out to me upon the rewatch? And I keep thinking about this because I think. This on a macro level in the world. Um, obviously, one of the funnier cameos in this movie. His first ever acting appearance was Elon Musk appearing yes. to talk to Tony, yeah. and especially being like, right now. Yeah, yeah, after us. Wait, just just right to slightly now. interrupt you and then get back to your point. I watched this Saturday night, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to watch Iron Man two. I'm going to skip watching SNL because this is my <laughs> protest against Elon Musk hosting." That I got to the scene, and I was like, "Ah, oh, goddamn it." Because he said it, and it's and yeah. it's that you know Iron Man. John Favreau has specifically said, "Oh, in 2008, when we were kind of looking at who would inspire this idea of a modern Tony Stark, it's Elon." And I keep thinking about this because when you think about the two big movies that came out in 2008, superhero-wise, sorry to Incredible Hulk, it was uh, Batman. It was the dark, you know, it was Dark Knight. Right? It was Dark Knight mm-hmm. and um, Iron Man. And I think there was this idea at the same time. You know, there's this huge recession happening in the United States. There's this moment of being like fuck bankers and fuck investment bankers and fuck institutionalized wealth, which is very much Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne. And at the same time, this cult of Steve Jobs, the cult of Elon Musk coming up, Elon Musk coming up and it's like pro-tech, pro what's happening there. And so you look at what a superhero is in 2008, it is Elon Musk. And so you base Tony on Elon and it's like, we're going to have him in the movie and we're just going to make this a thing because we love him. Then you fast forward to 2018 and Venom comes out and it's like, no, our villain is Elon Musk. In 2021, it's like yeah. Elon is the villain. Mm. And it's like, that's such a fun thing to watch in Iron Man 2 because it feels like such a moment in time where it was like, yeah, oh, yeah Elon was the inspiration for the superhero that was going to save the world through energy, renew, like renew, renewable energy and through all these great inventions. 
And then we come back to this point, to your point out, where it's like you were watching this because you wanted to like not watch him on SNL. And it's like, <laughs> what a moment of frozen in time for this to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll throw something out at you because uh, I think you're absolutely uh, right about that. But on the other hand, you do have mm-hmm. this idea with Tony Stark that even though he is a billionaire, even though he's on the cutting edge of tech, he does things with his hands and he does things himself to the point where he creates the triangle thing by bringing these pipes. He doesn't, he bashes his wall. He puts everything together versus Justin Hammer. In a montage even, which you Mm. must have hated because they skipped several moments in time, Pete. But Justin Hammer even is, his factory is Elon Musk's Musk's factory. Yeah, it is. Shot in the SpaceX facility. So I think you could draw a line there and say that they're kind of pointing to whatever they want. I don't think they were saying anything about Elon Musk in this movie. But I do think they're saying something about these tech billionaires who run shit and cut corners and don't really put in the work and don't really get down on the ground and understand what it is to actually make something when that is the origin of Tony Stark. He was phoning it in. He was following his father's legacy and he had to be thrown into a cave and make something himself to understand who he truly is. I love the idea that you're pushing a conspiracy theory, Alex, where Elon Musk (laughs) saw this movie and was like, Justin Hammer, I want to be that guy. That guy. And then he became him. (laughs) That guy knows how to have a good time. (laughs) And he became him uh, coming to fruition this very past weekend. What did you think about the scene where Sam Rockwell plays Wario in the movie? I thought that was weird. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. uh, Sam Rockwell has a lot of spray tan on his hands. And he does give these crazy speeches. And I was like, that's watching that back now. That's got a little Trump feel to it. That's a little creepy. But like it, there are some very interesting things about the like the fact that Tony Stark was inspired by Elon Musk. And then Elon Musk like monologue and SNL was like, hey, come on, I build rockets and we go to space. And I was just like, what? Watching this movie now is kind of crazy. But I remember, uh, I like distinctly remember in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, like that era, I remember, you know, being somebody who was cult of Steve Jobs and was very much like the tech guys are going to, you know, even to an extent like cult of never Jeff Bezos, but Amazon, the idea that like, oh, these tech guys who are creating jobs and are mm-hmm. like, you know, making a bunch of money and making very cool, shiny things I can film podcasts on uh, and, 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 yeah. and on the Elon side. You know, like the Tesla is coming out much later and doing stuff like that. It was like a moment where they did feel like superheroes and the idea of wealth that came up via the traditional institutions of Wall Street and then you're kind of Bruce Wayne felt antiquated and gross. And now it's like <laughs> on certain parts of Twitter, it's like all wealth is gross and and, yeah. the, and Silicon Valley has too much power. And, you know, with Tony Stark, I see this a lot on on TikTok, because my TikTok is tailored, obviously, and so it's a lot of Marvel. And people, when they talk about Marvel movies, as you guys are doing on the podcast, it's like they when they they get to Civil War and on the Iron Man stuff, they're like, I don't understand how you could ever be Team Tony because what he wants doesn't make sense. And I was like, but it's true because if we actually look at the idea of what Tony Stark stands for, a lot of us would probably not agree with most of it. Um, we had a fun game we used to play in newsrooms, which is like, which of your favorite superheroes would be Republicans? And like, it was, ah. it was like Tony Stark without question would be a Republican. Like just without question, he'd get tax breaks. There'd be whole things. And he'd be like, sure, I'm just going to vote for this guy. Um, and so I think about this a lot where it's like Steve Rogers is always the guy that's like, oh, he wants to fight for the little guy. He wants like this distribution of stuff. But I think with Tony, you know, despite all that stuff, there's, there's a, 
there's a heart to Tony that, and because he's complicated, because he's complex, because he's not right, he's not wrong, and he's just trying to do what's best. You know, Endgame doesn't work if Tony doesn't realize that he has to be the one to give himself up because he's the selfish person. I don't know if I'm allowed to spoil Endgame, by the way. Oh, that's fine. Uh, totally allowed. That we've seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, it only works because he's comes from a place of being like, I'm just doing this for me. Uh, and I think Iron Man 2, I, I start to see him where he has the ending conversation with Fury, and he's, like, narcissistic, obviously, like, who isn't? But he's like, I want to be a team player. Like, I want to be here. I want to help out. And I want to do more than just me. And I think that what I think that's such a great point. Um, and I think this movie does such a great job of setting up all the negatives. Like if you look at the Marvel uh, Iron Man's arc and the first huge uh, run of movies here that we've just finished, th- this is a hugely important. It's setting up Tony like this first sequence. Most Marvel movies have a big action sequence in the middle or in the beginning. This is Tony in court in, in front of the Senate in a fight. That's the over the, the big action sequence that starts the movie. Right. And like it's just him fighting and being wildly cocky. Basically, he says like four different times challenging anyone to come for him. And then it does. And he pays a price for it. And I just thought I was so caught off guard by that. I thought it was such a great way to start the movie because you're you admire him. You're also like, ah, he's too much of a dick right now. But he's undeniable in that beginning. You know, what's so funny about that, too? I have a lot of friends who work in tech. And so I actually we were talking about Iron Man 2 a few months ago because I, I was watching it. And uh, I, <laughs> I like that you're, you're trying to put movie. a timeline. You're trying to put a timeline on your Iron Man 2 conversations. It's a, it's a continuum. I hate to tell you. <laughs> it, is, it is literally like every few weeks. I mean, I watch it once a week. Which is sad, but like it is usually every <laughs> Don't you dare get say together. that. Don't you dare say that. Never apologize. No, no. You have no idea the kind of crappy movies I watch over and over and over again. I will <laughs> just to g- give you a little window. Pete, hey, how many times have you watched the entire run of Ted Lasso at this point? Oh, that's it's over twenty five. There you go. So good, That's though. Crazy. It's so good. It's so good. Sometimes good. you need a little happy place to go and kind of recharge. And, you know, if it's Iron Man 2, then that's great. Yeah, for me, it's, it's my children. For you, it's Iron Man 2. You yeah, know, same exactly. sort of thing. Yeah. Everyone has a thing. Yeah. Alex, you're not better at, uh, than us because <laughs> you have kids, okay? So don't think that. I it's crazy you know, how much time they're taking between seasons, though, Pete. It's really got to be. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like a big nap but, for you. <laughs> But we were we were taught we were watching Iron Man and we were talking about this and they all worked at different tech companies and most of them work at the big ones. And it was funny because and obviously I'm not saying their names, but we'd watch this and we were watching the congressional hearing. And I would would just mm. talk to them and they'd be like, Mark would never be allowed to say this. Or like, there's no way Jack would be able to say something <laughs> like that. And it's like oh, one of those things where I'm like, Right, we're in this moment where all these major tech CEOs you know, including to an extent, um, Elon, who the SEC is always like, oh, my goodness, please stop tweeting. Uh, they're kind of <laughs> like they're testifying now. And it's a weird moment where you can watch something from 2010 and it was really funny. And now it's like, oh, no, I guess we are putting tech CEOs in front of Congress to be like, hey, man, the stuff yeah. you're building that you don't think is a weapon can be a weapon, you know, to be very kind of like blatant about it. Uh, and it's like. It, it can be weaponized. I just thought it was really funny that all these things they wrote as like over the top Tony Stark Hollywood stuff that was just like LOL is now very, very real. 100%. Um, yeah, it's just a fun. It, to me, Iron Man 2 is just frozen in time in a very beautiful way. Uh, and I think about it all the time. Yeah. Like you were saying, oh, go ahead, Bean. I was going to say something that was crazy to watch is like, 
uh, you know, Pepper Potts is a cold, and Iron Man's like, I put on a surgical mask. That's how he, yeah. and I was just like, what? Predicted yeah. COVID yeah. right there. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Uh, I think uh, talking about the beginning of this movie, though, is a good time to get back to Don Cheadle and talk about the recasting there. Um, Uh. We, in the first movie, I think we disagreed a little bit. I think Justin and I sort of felt like we kind of liked Terrence Howard better as Rhodey. We felt like there was more of a bond between that Rhodey and that Tony Stark. Don Cheadle, great. Love his introduction. It's iconic. Him walking in. That that is boss. Like, they handled that so well. Like, not only were they looking at the audience, giving a wink, but it all fit perfectly what what was happening. And even to Tony being like, you know, being like, no, shut up, nerds. This is how it's going to roll. It was really (laughs) nice. Like, I'm here, get over it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so good. Yeah. But what do you think about Don Cheadle in this movie now that we are actually here? This was like the kind of switch really helped because Don Cheadle was very more, oh, I believe this guy's in the military. Where Terrence Howard was like, I can kind of believe it, but like this, you really (laughs) felt it more and made a lot more sense for the transformation into War Machine. You know, even his reluctance to read his stuff, like you're taking this out of context. Later, I go on to say like he's defending his stance, but he's still there on the wrong side. And numerous times people are like, what, Rhodey? Uh, so I felt like uh, it really works uh, a, a lot better for the character moving forward. Julian, what about yeah. you? What's your take on Terrence Howard versus Don Cheadle? I never really liked Terrence Howard as um, Rhodey, and I, I just could never get into it. And I don't know why. Even when I first watched it, I was like, oh, he's fine. But I just didn't, th- I didn't think there was enough chemistry there. Versus Don Cheadle just fit right in. I think Don Cheadle played the character better. I think he makes more sense. I also am very curious, though, you know, bring it up to a really interesting point. I, my favorite interactions later on in the movies, you know, Iron Man 2 sets up Don Cheadle as a very important character for and, and person for Tony. And I really love um, his further interactions with, like, Sam and then as they kind of meet other people. And I'm trying to picture Tarrant Tower with, like, Anthony Mackie. Mm. And I'm like, I just wonder if that would feel like a lot because they're both so full of personality. And I think what Don Cheadle's great at is he's an amazing actor and he has incredible charisma and the chemistry is obvious, but he's also very good at being like, I know when I'm going to be the lead that I have to be the lead. And I know when I'm going to kind of step back and support. Yeah. Also like that roof sequence with another actor, that would be creepy in different ways. Like he pulls that off of like, Hey, I'm also on this roof while you guys are making out. Like it really <laughs> different character choice. And that gets real weird, real fast. And you can't, take, <laughs> you can't fix that in post. Well, we could cut it. Uh, I think that, um, I, it's to me, it's not Terrence Howard versus Don Cheadle. It's yep. the roadie from the first movie and the roadie going forward are just mm-hmm. wildly different characters. And I honestly, think that Terrence Howard would play a better serious roadie like in this movie and going forward uh, because he he's just less the roadie in this movie is less fun. He's like he doesn't get along with Tony as well. He steals the war machine armor and just takes it like that's not good. He he steals it from him. Yeah, but and they have a huge a, fight and they punch each other. He steals, other and hurt it, each from other. He steals he it from him. He steals it from him to the government. The one thing con- that Tony said, the one thing that Tony said, don't do is don't give this to the government. I don't want it to be a weapon. And he's well, like, don't punch I'm going to do it face. anyway. Well, that's not that good a reason enough reason to take his intellectual property and sell to the government to become a weapon. He's to got go eighteen do bad stuff. of them. He just took one. Pete, 
You're wrong. You're wrong here. No, uh, you're part of the military industrial complex, Pete. Right, and I've known for that, a long whoa, time. Whoa, whoa, don't put that on me. You've been stealing my military secrets and selling them to the government. But uh, I tell you, where it's great is when he was in the suit and fighting like that was really. But what, yes, and I do think he's uh, he is good. I like Don Cheadle a lot as an actor. I just wish Don Cheadle's such a great com- comedy actor. Like I want that fun roadie for John Cheadle to play going forward. And you we get, get a little bit of it. it. You get, you get a little of bit it. of it. But the the scene we talked about in the Iron Man 2 podcast is or Iron Man uh, 1 podcast. That moment when he's like, Tony, I can't drink any sake. And then it cuts to them and he's having this long, like intense conversation with them. I want scenes like that where they mm. are friends first as opposed to like competitors slash uh, co-workers. Hey, sometimes friendships get weird, man. Yeah, I know. I know you. Do you ever think about um, Bob Iger <laughs> being like we've inherited this world <laughs> and sitting down and watching like, cool, so we sell the princess dresses and like <laughs> all like Buzz Lightyear. And then we've got Robert Downey Jr. and Terrence Howard watching strippers on a plane. And then, uh, yeah, just Tony Ping in a suit. And I, <laughs> I think about that all the time where they must have been like, so things have to change a little <laughs> bit uh, in order for our audience to be met. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think of House of Lies, Don Cheadle, and I'm like, he's just so good, and, and I would love yeah. House of Lies, Don Cheadle. And this, I I think what I wonder. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not a filmmaker, and I don't know. But I wonder when you have someone partnered with Robert Downey Jr., who's just so like commanding and like so like his presence is everywhere on the screen how much you kind of have to be like we need a guy who can do like yeah you're you're funny and charismatic and and this but you're also like you know you have to be the roadie to his tony like you can't be the you can't be the tony to your roadie if that makes any sense i do think uh, this this is something pete got very angry at me about when we were talking about iron man but I, i think one of the strengths but also one of the weaknesses of both of these iron man movies is the level of improv that they do in them sometimes it really hits like sometimes it really works and it really flies and it's very funny but i think without speculating too much based on the fact that what we've read, what we've seen, what they've talked about, things were very chaotic in terms of making Iron Man 2. And I think that comes through in some of the improv where it gets to what you were saying, Justin, in terms of Don Cheadle is much harsher to Robert Downey Jr. Just Robert Downey Jr. going wild, Don Cheadle just having to respond with a bunch of no, but, no, but. And Gwyneth Paltrow the same way is just they're yelling at him the entire time. And it's not... He deserves it the way he's talking. He deserves it. He He deserves deserves it, it. but it's he's going wild in the first movie, but it's much breezier in terms of the way that they're doing it. Here it's a little shriller across the board. Okay. I also hate, 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 and I realize this is gonna get me a lot of hate. I despise Pepper Pot. Like I just (laughs) want to edit her out of the film, and I realize how that sounds because she's really the only lead female character. But like I everything about her, I think of like dear Alex extremely good point. I never really thought of it like that. I think about the way that um she kind of interacts or even even Rhodey interacts with Tony compared to how like Bruce kind of handles Tony and the later movies where he's like all right, buddy. Like, you know, you have a kid with like strong ADHD and you're like, okay, like we're going to figure out how to like kind of go through this. I, there's just a calming presence to it, which as Bruce Banner's whole thing, he can't be angry, but it's much less annoying and frustrating. And again, I realize as it sounds, I'm speaking about a female character, but I just, there's something about Pepper 
that every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my god, like I please stop. Like it's <laughs> I, I every time she's doing, she has the scene in Iron Man two where she first comes in, she's yelling at him about the artwork, uh, and he's trying to make her CEO. It's like, <sighs> it's like so I'm our- gonna fast forward through it. I, I yeah. definitely understand what you're saying, and you know you you're making some valid points. Uh, but <laughs> I need to get back to what Alex blasphemy said before. Uh, but also, Tony Stark is a complete douche, womanizer, awful person. Uh, Pepper Potts like tolerates him at points, and then forces him to grow. Like I don't know what kind of other person could get, get through to that character. You know what I mean? Like she has to kind of uh, be that a little bit, but okay. First off, how dare you, Alex, ins- uh, insult the improv that got us to this gold, this land of unbelievable Marvel movies all started with giving an improv guy, the director's chair and letting no, him. Letting him ha- have the uh, power to be like, hey, you want to do a couple takes for you? Let's have some fun on set. Bring a liveliness to mm-hmm. this. Otherwise, it was DC sad movie, sad characters, dark, 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 dark. Fuck you. Let's bring in some light. Let's bring in some fun. So the fact that you're like, yo, improv ruined this whole shit is uh, is very upsetting, and you're way off base right there. No, Pete, I understand what you're saying. This is a fair point, but to be fair to myself, I was there at the UCB in 2008 with John Favreau, Kevin Feige. They came out with their Harold team. They right. said, can we get a suggestion? Somebody in the back of the audience was no, like, Marvel. Iron Man! Iron Man 2! Like, All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. But- Let's go. All right, keep it loose. Keep it loose. No, no, yes. no. Because the, the whole team... <laughs> There is like keep it loose. Keep it That's loose. what you do, right? No, you're yeah. a shaker. You're, the, you're doing you brought, you're doing crazy you brought improv like to New York with Dell Close, right? Yeah. Alex. Uh I yeah, first off, yeah, there's a lot of in jokes there that I hope improv heads really enjoyed. But uh, <laughs> nobody enjoyed that. Yeah, you yeah. That, my whole point is like there there are things that the improv cuts through in a way that shows humor and moves things fastly in a way to not take time that I think you're not appreciating. Yeah, well, Alex isn't am. saying Alex, Alex likes the improv. He's yeah. just saying it was a harsher form of it because the characters were fighting constantly. And uh, to what we were talking about with Pepper and Rhodey, like their job in this movie was to be like, uh, Tony, you can't do that. And that's like textbook not a fun part of improv and it's like makes for i'll, I'll give you an example uh, characters of, that are harder to i'll give you an example of some improv that i do think worked uh, not to keep talking about these disney plus extras that i watched but uh the first behind the scenes that funny. they had is absolute chaos for most of it it's pretty much unwatchable but then they get to uh talking about the scene where Simon rockwell is trying to sell the weapons to war machine and that's something that justin Theroux apparently wrote the night before and there was no way for Sam Rockwell to memorize it. So they gave him an earbud. It was just Justin Throw, like feeding him lines on set and just over and over and over again, working on it with John Favreau, them coming up with stuff on the spur of the moment and just filming as much stuff as they possibly can. And that scene is very fun and it's very funny yeah. and it all works versus Don Cheadle being like, no, this is stupid. Shut up about that weapon. It's all just the cutaways to Don Cheadle not reacting to anything. And that's what makes it very funny. And I think that does work there. Yeah. I think if you think about the improv that kind of shows up, uh, again, I meant to a little, but, 
but between, uh, I've made a whole show about it, uh, between, you know, Bucky and Sam, when you know, Sebastian, Stan, and Anthony Mackie were very good at being like reading each other and kind of playing off each other and then putting into their characters and then having, I think, directors and writers who are like, sure, go for it. Um, no. it makes, I think there's like a difference there where the improv comes through a lot more versus when you're letting Robert Downey Jr. be Robert Downey Jr. Basically, mm-hmm. he's just that him, and it's like, you can do all the improv you want, but also these two characters, we need you to be no but, not yes and. That's when it gets to feel like, oh, this just feels like an argument, which is how it's supposed to be, and that's how it's written, but I think because RDJ improv so much of it, it's like, mm, it just doesn't really click in certain ways. But there are scenes where it does. I mean, like the scene where they introduce Natasha, and she comes in, and she's fighting Happy and Tony and... and um Pepper having a back and forth. I don't know how much of that was improv. I assume some of it, because I just assume it's RDJ. Some of it always is improv. <laughs> uh, it's like, that's a great scene. Like, that scene works really well, because they're bouncing off each other, and it's, like, working really well. And even if it's fully written, their chemistry in that scene works much better than their chemistry yeah. in the first scene, where they're, like, she's yelling at him, and he's. it just feels weird. Yeah, I, I would I would like to quickly touch on that that scene. Like, yeah, that, you know, unfortunately, this because of the time period, uh, you know, John Favreau or Happy makes that horrible joke of like, oh, you're going to box me? Or did you take a little booty camp class or whatever? It's like, fuck you. But yes, I do agree. Like the introductions, especially with the having an improv eye for that kind of stuff, you know, just like starting scenes in the middle of action, like that kind of stuff, like. Uh, so great and used well uh, throughout. And Alex, you make a good point about improv. Um, all improvisers just have an earbud in the ear where the um, mm-hmm. a writer whispering lines to them. <laughs> yep, that's improv, that's, right? That's 100%. Okay. That's why it's so funny, because someone wrote it and is saying it. <laughs> I mean, it, was, uh, <laughs> it really felt like... I, I used to love going to ASCAD. I, how did they write that? <laughs> well, and I just, the radio frequencies going on in that. There's the eight mm-hmm. people on stage at the same time. Everyone just like. All I meant was that they riffed on it until they arrived at the script. Just did. You got it, dude. I want to talk about the one of my favorite action sequences in all of the phase one movies is the Monaco race. Uh, I think it's so good. It's so like, it's like, it has the vibe of James Bond and the only lameness comes from it's um, reminding me of the pod racing scenes from the uh, Star Wars prequels, but otherwise for the prequels. I don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) Let's not not get into prequel arguments right now. But I, the way they introduce Whiplash in that in that sequence is so awesome. The briefcase armor I love still, oh, yeah. one of the best. Just so well done. It's so scary. Rewatching, it, I was like, this is so tense. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's there's all these weird and total funny. shifts and funny. Yeah, there's just total shifts where they're like laughing. And Tony's like, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. Like it's just there's it really awesome has an arm. Well, let me ask you about this part, because I saw somebody tweet this out the other day. I didn't actually watch the scene. They were like, this is the most chaotic scene in the MCU. And I didn't watch it. And then I was watching the movie. And I was like, what are they talking about? This is awesome with Whiplash coming out. And then they got to the part, which they had clearly captured for the tweet, which is when they just run into Mickey Rourke with a car yes. over yeah. and over and over again. That's crazy. That is yeah. a crazy scene. And he's whipping the car into pieces at the same time. <laughs> it is wild. Yeah. I mean, what other thing could he do there? He only has a car and a suitcase. Yeah. Sure. I guess that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I always I take like people how, take happy side in any situation. That's right. Oh yeah, I also like how between the first Iron Man and the second Iron Man, it's just one movie. Um, 
and if you'll for Pete, it just continued right away. Right, it's, there was no break. It's That's, right. so, That's what you but, want. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that they spend a lot of time in those two movies showing just how advanced like the mark upgrades are, even between those two, which yeah. is then a through line for all of Tony's arcs, which are like. And the third one, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm on Mark, whatever. And then by the end game, he's like talking or Infinity where he's talking to Bruce and he's like, it's nanotech. You like it? Like, it's a cool thing I just made. Um, and then I think that between the first and the second, though, I have a soft spot because it goes from being like, I made this thing in a cave to I spent so much time getting this right. So by the second one, he's like, I have a briefcase that turns into a, a, a Mark suit that I can just keep on me when I go out. Um, and it's like a fun little moment where without saying how much he's working on them, they just show you with the different suits and then it's him in the briefcase suit. It's like, Oh, he, this is what he's spending his time on. Like this well, is it. And it's a cool thing to your point that, that they just challenge the filmmakers to do a more awesome Iron Man suit every time. And it, yeah. it's a very like lizard brain thing to watch. But then when you jump ahead to Avengers, it's the same sort of thing where he jumps out of the building and he's got the gauntlets and it comes on him and everything or jumping to the extremist armor or anything like that. It's just trying to up the ante each time. And it's, fun to watch. It, it's at least part to sell toys, of course, and I understand that at an intellectual level, but as a viewer who likes to watch cool Iron Man movies, it's fun. And it's fun to watch... Um, um, I lost my thought, but it was definitely about the suits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man, cool. Were you saying the triangle, the big change from circle to triangle, which I think I, really caught us all off guard? It, yeah, it's, 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 you know what? Do you guys have a preference for any of the arc mm. reactors? Do you like the triangle over the circle? I know you're making fun, Justin, but I got to say from a comic book reader perspective, when they switched to the triangle, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, remember I do. This. The, yeah. the triangle, when the light laser cuts across the room and lands in the triangle, Giant. that's the one I remember. I love it. Um, and I do love the triangle. It's just very funny to me to be like, the secret was a triangle the whole time. It's like, what do you <laughs> that's yeah, not the he secret. Needed, he needed that circular <laughs> shield to get everything level, you know? Mm, that yeah, perfect good, shield. You know what? Good. You know, it's always so fun about the Iron Man movies in comparison to all the other Marvel movies. All the other Marvel movies, the arc uh, is basically like, so-and-so needs to find courage, hope, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They have the cool superpower. They figure it out, and then they go and do it. And Iron Man movies are always like, cool, he, he figures out what he has to do, and there's a little bit of a problem. But his problem that he has to figure out is always like, I have solved, I figured out a new atom. I have solved time travel. And it's always yeah. like, he's done it in five minutes. And he's like, I figured it out. Like, yeah. there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I invented a new element. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always like, they, I just think about it from a, sometimes I get into my head and I'll think like the amount of time it took to get, you know, the Pfizer vaccine through, through everything again. It's like, all right, we can, we can deploy this now and give it to people. And he's like, guys, got a new element. I'm just going to test it out. They should have made <laughs> the pills for little triangles. It would have been way faster. <laughs> I, I would like to talk a little bit about the, the suit evolution and how that's like a fun thing because like, it's interesting, like the time it takes for it to get on, like, like in the beginning when he's uh, being douchey in front of the people, and he's got the girls dancing behind him at the es expo. He's still it takes a while to get the suit off. And there's this fun thing where it's like when he first took out the, the kind of circle in his chest, it almost killed him with pepper and it took forever. And then like to see him kind of quickly change out and then to be able to get in the briefcase qu like quicker uh, and then leading to the now. It's, it's kind of a cool thing that they're paying attention to 
all along the way, and I appreciate the the kind of attention to details. That does remind me, just as a little quick note, him taking out the arc reactor is so gross to me for some reason. Just the fact that he has this huge hole in his chest that he's just pulling things out. Deep hole. Very deep hole. Don't like it. Yeah. Um, I also, that's what I was going to talk about. Actually, Pete, thank you for reminding me. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories that RDJ always tells on talk shows when he's like, it went from the first one of being in a suit to by the time they did Endgame, he was like, I was in a hotel, like kind of basically reading lines because <laughs> they didn't need me in my suit. I, like, it was all CGI. And I think about that where you can see it, too, where it's like the first one, it's him, and it's very much like their CGI is obviously a thing by 2008, but they and filming 2007, but it's like not as where they want it to be. And by 2010, it's further along to the point that they're like, we can do a lot of this with that, with you just in a green screen and talking. Like we can, and then you yeah. know, throughout, it's like as the, the suits look better and as they go on faster, you're like, oh, he's not even there. Like he's just not, he doesn't have to be anywhere near here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw out, this is not related to that, but this is a theory. This isn't really a theory. This is just something that like I've thought about with this movie for a while. Do you think they at least in part base this on Batman Returns? And the reason I say this is because I think like Batman Returns, probably one of the best movie sequels of all time, superhero movie sequels. It really set the mold for these sort of things. But I was really struck by it in the opening of this movie. What, Pete? Empire Strikes Back is the. I haven't the... seen that one yet. I gotta check hmm. that out. I hear it's very good. To it. Don't tell it's me like any Attack of the, of the Clones, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen yeah. Attack of the Clones. I've never seen Empire Strike Back. Also, but... when John Carter Two comes out, bro, that's gonna be your jam. You're gonna. That's love the new that. Star Wars. It's the new yeah. Star Wars. Mark my words. Uh, the Batman Returns, though, st- starting at the beginning here with Mickey Rourke, his dad dying. Even kind of the music had the sense of like Tim Burton, uh, Danny Elfman esque thin to it. But if you think about that mm. movie, that starts with the Penguin at the beginning. He gets sent out by his parents. He's an orphan. He builds us this army of birds and eventually goes to take over Gotham City. So he's this weirdo who comes into the middle and kind of messes things up for Batman. Then you have Justin Hammer's kind of like Max Shrek this businessman who's hiring and working with the Penguin and wants to manipulate him, but eventually Penguin gets one over on him. And into the middle, throwing things into the mix, is this woman in a cat suit, Catwoman, in Batman Returns. Here, it's Black Widow. I don't think it's necessarily a one-to-one, but I have to imagine they at least looked at it a little bit and modeled things there, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Anybody? Ironclad case. That's a case. I like that case. I haven't case I have never thought case about closed. it, but yeah, I like it. All right, cool. If you Sold. ever get to talk to Justin Thoreau, you should absolutely I ask him. We I mean, interviewed him about what was it? By your Highness or My Highness or whatever. I believe it was Your Highness. Uh, your Highness. It was called the Seth yeah, Rogen Stoner movie. The Danny whatever movie. Yeah, uh, I feel like we Rogen, asked him yeah. if he was going to come back for another Iron Man or be in the MCU at one point. He's like, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, he's like, can I be done with this interview with you two idiots? And he was like, yep. Uh, Just to run through some trivia, uh, some stuff that I jotted down while I was doing the research. A lot of folks probably know this, uh, but uh, the small kid with the Iron Man mask in the climactic action sequence that Iron Man saves. He puts up his That was such a cool move. And he he like goes, nice job, kid. Like he did it. So this is something, obviously they didn't mean it to be this when they were doing Iron Man 2. They retconned it later, but that's Peter Parker. And they officially, 
uh, said that Tom Holland, I think, did one of his going rogue things first, where he was like, yeah, 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 that's a fan theory, right? Yep, that's me, that's Peter Parker. And then later on, Kevin Feige and John Watts said, yes, absolutely, we could retcon a, that all matches up, all good. Another one, Peter. Oh, it is in Queens. Do you remember, though, when this whole thing was happening? It was around the exact same time that they had done... Uh, it was, yeah, so it was Spider-Man Homecoming and then something else had happened. It was like Guardians 2 had come around. Like, it was right at that time period. And they <laughs> realized that they screwed the math up. And they were oh. like, oh, we set things at a different point. So all these fans, and by fans, I mean me. And, and <laughs> I, my pals on Reddit, and by pals on Reddit, I mean strangers on Reddit. Or like, good, that's a good thing. The math doesn't add up. And I remember writing about this for Polygon, where I was like, they retconned it, but then they screwed up the timeline. And I remember eventually Kevin Feige was asked, but it's so often when he was promoting, it must have been homecoming, he was like out promoting it, that he was eventually, he was like, we are just no longer going to include dates in movies. Like he was like, <laughs> we, like, it's insane. We didn't Smart. even really think about this. And it's like, you didn't think that the fans would do the math? I'd be like, wait a second. This doesn't add up at all. Uh, but I remember that was, yeah. it, was, it was part of it where it was like the retcon moment where he was like, ah. <laughs> it's funny that they did that later on and didn't match it up when a lot of the stuff in these early movies, particularly when you get to Captain America, we mentioned the shield that he kind of shoves under there. There's all these other Captain America references in Incredible Hulk and in the first Iron Man, and they don't really match with first Avenger at all. Uh, But I think you could write that off as they're figuring it out. They're not quite there yet. But the the fact that in 2017, 2018 or whatever it was, they still hadn't quite figured it out. gives you, I actually don't think that's a bad thing that like, they're still kind of flying by the seat of their pants and that keeps them loose with the MCU in a certain way that allows them to be flexible. Improv loose, baby. <laughs> Improv. And I'm sure it also makes uh, uh, the teams at Warner Brothers and DC and Sony and, and very happy that they're like, oh, they, they're still figuring it out. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry. We can still do this, guy. <laughs> Venom yeah. is going to be great. <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, Pete, I you'll probably Venom. like this yeah. fact. I don't know if you knew this one, but Gendy Tartakovsky actually storyboarded the movie. Oh, oh nice. not Tartakovsky. I thought that was God a fun damn one. right, man. Uh, lots Jack. of folks know this. This is still one of the wilder casting Our things, but girls. Emily Blunt was originally going to maybe be Black Widow, uh, but she had a contractual obligation to do Gulliver's Travels instead. Uh, so she did that. Things have turned out okay for her, so we're not too worried about her. Uh, but the other actresses up for the role, Jessica Biel, Gemma Adderton, oh. Natalie Portman, uh, Jessica Alba, Angelina Jolie, Brie Larson, and Pete, you'll like this one as well, Eliza Dushku campaigned very hard for the role of Black Widow. Uh, but of course, you know got it. It was uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, this is another one. I don't know if this is true because I couldn't find any sourcing for this, but there are a bunch of different folks that said Al Pacino was up for the role of Justin Hammer. And that's particularly wild because then later on he turned out to be Mephisto in WandaVision. So that's that it is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they saved him for that as we all yeah. predicted mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, another interesting pattern that I think they set with this movie because they didn't, they had the Sam Jackson end credits on Iron Man. They didn't really have an end credits. Credits on Incredible Hulk, as we talked about, is before the credits. But here you get the Thor post-credits, and that was directed by Kenneth Branagh on the set of Thor as part of Thor. And that sets this really nice pattern for the rest of the movies where they kind of hand it off to the next director, to the next team for all these end credits, which I think is a cool, fun thing. Uh, The photo of Ivan being arrested... 
that they show in the montage when Tony is doing the research is actually Mickey Rourke being arrested in real life. Uh, Gary Chandler's character, Gary Chandling's character, Senator Hydra. Stern, is named after Howard Stern, uh, which apparently Howard Stern loved. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is what I vaguely remembered, uh, and that while I was reading, I, I found it again, and it's one of the weirder things that I cut out there. Like we talked about these, uh, the previous movie, they did a weird job on the Ten Rings, which hopefully they're going to clarify a little bit when we get to Shang-Chi going yeah. forward. Uh, but one of the guards who lets Vanko out is supposed to be from the Ten Rings, but he never talks about it or refers to it in any way. Mm, Very subtle. <laughs> yes. Not even really an Easter egg. Uh, this is another one uh, that I did not know. Uh, you Ulysses scholars probably did know, but this made this joke even better. You probably remember the line where Justin Hammer says that he's going to write a book that'll make Ulysses look like it was written in crayon. Uh, Ulysses actually that's was That's the missile that, uh, that's going to do that. Oh, that's right. The missile. Yeah. Uh, Ulysses actually was written in crayon because James Joyce's eyesight was getting so bad that he wrote most of the book in a red crowd. Smart. There you go. Mm. Very clever joke. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, Shane Black. It is. Shane Black contributed ideas to Iron Man 2. He went on to write Iron Man 3. I guess the, I think this gets to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier, Julia. But his big idea was what if Tony was like J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, the I Have Become Destroyer of Worlds. I don't know how much it exactly plays out through there, but I definitely think like that opening trial scene that plays in very nicely there, or at least people are yeah. trying to impress on him that he is J. Robert Oppenheimer, but he doesn't accept it at all. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The last one that I wanted to mention, uh, this shows up a bunch throughout the MCU, uh, but Tony's materials that he gets to make the triangle are crates from Project Pegasus, which shows up in a couple of movies. I think it later actually shows up in Thor, definitely shows up in Captain Marvel as well. So it's another one of those little Easter eggy things that starts to pay off later on. Uh, before we move on to the next section, though, any other parts from the movie that anybody wants to call out? Any things that jumped out? If we're on Easter eggs, um, as we all know, um, John Favreau's cameo in Friends, he played this dude that had issues with MMA, and that was a, uh, in continuity with this movie. So, mm. yeah, important to point that out. I love, I, I, we'd love to see what piece of paper you're holding that has that written on it right now, Pete. Uh, but also, the um, something I like to talk about is... Um, <laughs> they had, uh, when he was in prison, um, uh, Whiplash was in prison, and that dude came in. That That's his stunt double. And uh, it's nice to see uh, stunt doubles get a little uh, screen time just because they're uh, the real hero of movies as far as, uh, you know, all the action is concerned. So anytime you yeah. can give them a little nod, that's always, like, much like appreciated. And he yeah. actually killed his stunt double in that scene. That was a documentary, yeah. right? So he was yeah. ready yeah. to take – he wanted a new stunt double. It's the only way mm-hmm. to get rid of him. And let me say, that scene is perhaps the worst scene in the movie because that scene makes yeah. no sense. There's no, no reason any of that – none no, no, of that no, had no, to no, happen. no, no, no. None no, no, no. of that had to happen. No, when you blow up the cell and then they find a body that's similar to his, they think he's dead. That was Hammer's whole plan. When a bomb goes off, they can't see the f- body anymore, so he doesn't have to look like him, A. He's got to have the same there's no body reason, type. There's no reason the guy's to be alive when you put him in the cell. Why do you have to fight him there? Um, he doesn't need to give him the bomb and the potatoes when he's handed him the key across the door. An explosion covers up the fact that it's not exactly him. It- Blows Explain them the up potatoes, Pete. Explain the potatoes. The the potatoes is the the bomb. 
Oh, and then he gets the key. Oh, oh. I thought they were some weird potato, like very no, old no, no, potatoes. No, 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 yeah, yeah. The 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 last thing I kind of wanted to bring up is for me. So um, as we know, you know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners know, Iron Man Two is very loosely, but you know, inspired by Demon in the Bottle, mm. which is my favorite uh, Tony Stark arc. It's a lot of people's favorite Tony Stark arc. It is when Tony realizes he has a drinking problem and he has to kind of realize or figure out if he wants to continue continue down that path or if he wants to be become sober and kind of get help. And that becomes a continuous thing in, in Tony Stark's canonical arcs in the, in the Marvel comics uh, is that Tony's sober and it's something he kind of always deals with. Um, and as much as I love what Justin Thor tried to do and as much as I understand why they couldn't lean into it fully, there is part of me that is always like, oh, I would love a, you know, HBO, A24 style, like Tony Stark, Demon in the Bottle arc, where he gets to be a total, uh, he gets to, his alcoholism gets to come to play. Because I think it's such an important part of his arc. And like, I mean, I just like Tony Stark as a character. I always have. And I think without that, a lot of what they're trying to do doesn't land as hard. And I think mm-hmm. if it was like, oh, we're going to discuss substance abuse and wealth and how wealth and substance abuse kind of ties hand in hand. I think right now, especially when there is a like uh, an epidemic of the drugs uh, in our nation, I think it would just been a really great thing to highlight. There's like this, this character and he does get sober and he continuously kind of struggles with it, but he is consistently trying to remain sober. Um, I think it's like a power of his, it's a strength. And I wish, and I, while I understand why they couldn't, I do wish that they leaned into it a little bit more. Totally agree. That's been kind of a huge bummer for me. And I'm definitely reminded of that every time that I watch the party scene in particular, where they go exactly like you're saying, they go maybe 60% of the way, 70% of the way, but they don't quite get there. They don't quite hit it. And, um, there were so many rumors before the movie came out that, oh, yeah, it's going to be a straight-up demon-in-a-bottle adaptation. That's what's going to happen in this movie. And that's not what it pads out. Um, I don't know if they ever will do that, obviously, at this point. You could have a Disney Plus series or a one-off or taking by place back in time. But, but yeah, um, too bad. Uh, any uh, final thoughts from you, Justin, before we move on to the next section? Uh, no, the the one thing I want to say is like, we didn't really talk about the problems with the movie in depth too much, but I do think there are just a couple scenes like that prison scene where it's just like, ah, these scenes that just deflate a lot of the momentum they were building. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're spaced out in a weird way in this movie. So, um, that was, uh, that's the only thing I, that's one of the reasons I feel like the pace of it's a little off and that's what made everyone so sort of upset. Yeah, it's something, particularly when you're rewatching it, I think like the first half hour, 45 minutes is great. It's just yeah, really yeah. good. It flies along. It's super fun. And there's a certain point where it starts to get a little too complicated and have too many ideas going at the same time. Pete, you were raising your yeah. little finger there. Yeah. One, one last thing before we move on, I wanted to kind of, you know, we talk about casting and uh, there was some amazing cast in this movie, but Gary Shandling uh, destroys in this movie. Rest in peace. Yeah. Like really amazing yeah. stuff, especially with the kind of callback at the end to have him uh, give Tony and Rhodey the awards. I mean, just uh, you want to talk about comedy. I mean, that's comedy gold right there. And that that was just that was magic. Absolutely magic. And one thing we didn't mention, a uh, little low-key uh, cameo by Stan Lee as Larry King was hysterical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very low-key. 
Let's turn to the vision board where we look at stuff that is coming ahead, specifically stuff tying into Iron Man 2. So a couple of things that are coming out of this. First one, very belated here, and most people probably know this, but we're going to finally get a Black Widow movie 11 years later after her debut on July 9th, coming to Disney Plus Premium Premiere Access. I always forget what that's actually called, as well as in theaters. Um what are, what are you thinking about? How are you feeling about this movie right now? Are you excited to see it? Are you going to go see it in theaters? Are you going to watch it in the safety of your home? Julia, where's your head at on that one? Uh, yeah, so finally glad we're getting a Black Widow movie. Uh, nine years after we still got the Black <laughs> Widow movie. Um, no, I mean, I'm excited. I think part of me is excited to just go see. I'm fully vaccinated, which is very lucky, and I'm very happy. Uh, and I'm very excited to go to Alamo and like watch Black Widow and, you know, enjoy that as a uh, tipsy treat. But like, I think, and then I will buy it again on Disney plus. Like I am that person who absolutely will do both. Cause I just want to be able to watch it again. Um, when I get home. Um, I think part of me is very concerned. It's not going to be good. Uh, there's just, mm-hmm. uh, there's like a gut feeling I have where I'm like, uh, it might not be great. Also, I really love Scarlett Johansson. I really love um, Black Widow. I really love Natasha Romanoff. Uh, If they are teasing any part of what happened with um, Clint in um, uh, in the city, but like all the stuff that ties into it, I'm really excited. And I think just after 17, 18 months, 19 months without a Marvel movie in theaters, I'm just excited to like sit in a theater with Marvel fans and watch Marvel movies. What about you guys? How are you feeling about Black Widow right now? Sort of the same. Definitely want to go to the movies to see it. Um, Going to get out of the house. And um, I'm not super worried about it. I feel like this is a movie that they know has to sort of carry the weight of the MCU or sort of reignite the flame. So I do think that they have are going to want it to really, it's really important. This movie hits, I think, especially now there's been such an extra gap in time. I think we talked about this a little bit. We were discussing Falcon and Winter Soldier, and there's been a lot of varying reports, but it's going to be hard not to watch the movie wondering what has been tweaked or changed or is different in the MCU, either because of when Black Widow is coming out or that they have done to Black Widow, though I don't know if they could do anything other than excising a scene here and there. Uh, but it's going to be kind of fascinating to watch from that perspective. But yeah, same place as you guys. I'm just excited to watch a big movie. And I really, there's been a lot of discussion about this, but I think it's really actually very smart to release it both places because I think a lot of people are going to do exactly what you're saying, Julia. They want to go back to the movies. They're going to watch the big movie and then they're going to pay the 30 bucks and watch it five more times at home and dissect all the seeds. Uh, and Disney gets to double dip that way. What about you, Pete? Double dip. Uh, I think that uh, I'm very <laughs> excited. And, and this movie got me even more excited because of the Black Widow fight sequences in here. And one uh, fight sequence that we didn't get to talk about is the one where all the robots land and Tony Stark is to do his one-off super move, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm very excited for the action in this movie. Like, uh, uh, you know, Captain America and Winter Soldier or Captain America and Bucky, what, uh, whatever name it should have been at the end there. But uh, very action-oriented, very action-driven. So I think going from that into this will be hopefully 
uh, super enjoyable. And I want a popcorn movie in a movie theater that I can very much enjoy. I'm pumped about Taskmaster. Uh, I hope that's done well. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it, talk about a great cast. Like, I'm very excited for the casting they have in this movie. Wait, real quick, not knowing anything about the movie or the plot, and we've talked about this before on our live show, but uh, who is Taskmaster? Which which character is Taskmaster? Pete? Black Widow. <laughs> you think wow. she's also Taskmaster? Yep. Okay. Good answer. Justin? Um, I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> Rachel Weiss. I think it's Rachel Weiss, right? Uh, oh, I see. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, it, there's no, uh, there, it's a, <laughs> there's one trick they're pulling here. There's not a lot of options. <laughs> right. It's either in the right hand or the left hand. Yes. Julia, do you have a guess? Yeah, I think it's Mephisto. Finally, I think no. this is how they tie it in. No, that would ruin the movie for me. That would absolutely ruin the movie. I'm here to take your marriage. <laughs> Awful. All right, uh, next one. This is tangential, and I think we should probably hold this potentially after uh, we talk about Captain Marvel, but it's fine. Let's do it now. Secret Invasion is another Disney Plus series that's coming. Samuel Jackson is going to be in it. Ben Mendelsohn is going to be in it as Talos the Skrull. Uh, there's a bunch of rumored folks that are almost definitely in it, including T- Kingsley Benadire, Olivia Coleman, Amelia Clark, and Killian Scott, starting to film this fall. And the showrunner is Kyle Bradstreet, who did a bunch of writing on Mr. Robot, which is very exciting for me. Uh, what are you thinking about this one? Justin, what about you? This is the one that I'm like, I don't quite see it yet. It seems a little, uh, I feel like all the scroll stuff they've done in the movies so far has been sort of like, uh, it doesn't, it's not quite landing. The, it doesn't seem like a menace. It doesn't feel like, I just don't know where they're falling on the scroll side of things. And the show keeps getting confusing with everything we, more confusing the more we learn about it. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's Julie, the, what about? Oh, go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry, um, but that's <laughs> what I'm kind of excited about. Is like they're making different choices with scrolls in the movies than in the comics, and it's kind of like, well, if they're the good guys, what's happening in Secret Invasion? What's going on? But um, they've been doing such a great job with their movies that, like, I'm excited to see how they're going to pull that off. Julia, thoughts? Yeah, I'm stoked. I have like good gut feeling. I it's honestly probably one of my most anticipated uh, Disney Plus Marvel shows. Like wow. I just very very. I mean that cast alone too is just so oh, good. Yeah. And like if they do it right, it can be just one hell of a banger. And like I'm so excited um, on the same wavelength I feel about Loki, where I'm like, if they pull it off, it's just gonna be a, an uh, immediate kind of for me classic, where it's like part like it's got all the right ingredients for me. So I'm very excited. Well, on the Nick Fury bit, we talked about this a little bit with Iron Man too, but he's mostly sitting around talking and uh, trying to advise Tony in a certain way, but if they can really lean into the spy aspect of Nick Fury in the show, that'll be very cool and very fun and something outside of winter soldier. We haven't really seen. He's mostly standing at a helicarrier and being like, I'm here to help now. And that's pretty much it. Um, plus the fact that they have, it's not Sam Esmail, but one of the guys behind Mr. Robot 
one of my absolute favorite shows of all time doing it, I think there's a possibility of really amping up the weirdness and tension there that I think is going to be very cool. I hope that's I hope that's the way it goes. Yeah. And uh, last one to talk about, very apropos of this movie, Armor Wars is also coming to Disney Plus down the road. This is starring Don Cheadle. We know that it is when Tony Stark's tech falls into the wrong hands. So let's throw this out. This specifically came to mind when I was thinking about Iron Man 2. This is the perfect opportunity to bring back Sam Rockwell, right? Yeah, I would think. Oh, yeah. Watching this movie, I was like, this has got to be the guy. And now he's like, actually, uh, he's not a fail son anymore. He's been burned. He can come through with some actual uh, tech and not be, not suck so hard. As he Plus, we're going to hopefully get some more dance sequences, a little bit more mm-hmm. hammer time. Come on. That's what people, hammer <laughs> Maybe time. Maybe it's a musical. I don't know. Let me throw out another one because apparently they changed the fate of Whiplash a little bit. It didn't seem very ambiguous to me. He added a bob on him. But apparently they yeah. cut away from him so you wouldn't exactly know whether he was dead or not. So they could bring him back if they wanted to. Do you think there is any chance they would bring Mickey Rourke back as Whiplash for an Armor War series? I mean, Armor Wars was about all anyone who had any similar tech coming back. And there's no better candidate than than Whiplash from this movie. Yeah. Julia, you were nodding your head no. Yeah, no, I other I I love the idea of him coming back. I'm just like I feel. I mean, what else is he doing right now? Right, might might as well come back and take Disney money and just be <laughs> a guy that comes back for. I am just been thinking about more and thinking about what I would do for Justin Hammer to return in any capacity, and I just love the idea of him coming back in a post kind of Tony. World, trying like, to be my time about my it. time <laughs> and it's just like there's a really fun opportunity there uh i'm armor wars is also i think one of my most anticipated it's like that those shows i'm more excited for than necessarily um like she hulk to an extent where i mean which i am i love marvel i'm a shill but i, I hope yeah. all of them <laughs> but like uh armor wars and secret invasion are like two of my very anticipated ones yeah Pete, what about you? Did you have any thoughts about this one? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think it's uh, Don Cheadle getting to shine a little bit, which I'm very excited about. And that will hopefully shut down people with the kind of back and forth of who should have played what. And I think it will probably hopefully put this to bed. You know, <laughs> No uh, one's saying that anymore. Yeah. It's just because we're talking about this all Yeah, we're doing an MCU rewatch podcast, Pete. That's why we're talking about it right now. All right, well, uh, anyway. What about the Boyd? Do you think he's going to bring back the Boyd? Did I do that right? <laughs> Boyd? Yeah, Boyd? seamless. Bird, How does yeah. he say Boyd? My, my bird. Like my Boyd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll come back as well. And of course, Pete, your most anticipated happy endings, the Happy Hogan Disney Plus series is coming. Are you excited about that one? Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, Julia, thank uh, you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. Is there anything you want to plug before you go? Uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's always an honor to be called an Iron Man 2 expert. That is truly <laughs> like the height of my career. Um, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, at Loudmouth Julia, I do tweet a lot, um, and I do have a. It's supposed to be weekly, but it's becoming biweekly just because timing. Uh, newsletter that you can subscribe to. It's called Musings on Mouse. It's on Substack, and it's basically about Disney um, in its different capacity uh, and everything they have going on right now. 
I will say I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I do subscribe to that one. Super fun, super interesting. If you have any interest in Disney business or anything like that, told in a fun and fascinating manner, definitely check it out. And on nice. our hour and couple of things to plug here, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Iron Man 2 or really any Marvel movie. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Marvel Vision Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, stay marvelous. <laughs> you get better every it's time with that. There's, the end, right? there's more gravel in your voice every time you do it. Stay marvelous out there.